and welcome to another episode of Deal Talk. I'm Deal. Let's talk. Uh, my guest of the evening is a talented, talented singer, songwriter, pianist, uh, uh, podcast host. Uh, we have talent in, in the house. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tony Mentor. How are well, you, thanks. sir? Thanks. I'm good. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. It's an honor having you, sir. How are uh, you today? I'm doing good. You can't complain. A little hot outside, but uh, other than that, we're doing good. Hey. You know, when it's not hot, it's cold, and when it's cold, it's hot. Well, I tell everybody, I'm I'm originally from the north, and now I'm living here in Nashville. I'll take 100 degrees like it is today over 20 below any day. Mm, I, I meant to that. Nashville is beautiful, man. I, I was there, I think, either 2015 or 2014 for a wedding. It's beautiful. I fell in love with it. And it's changed dramatically since you've been here. Yes, I just, can imagine. Just it's a it's a melting pot. I mean, everybody's coming in from every every angle, everywhere. Uh, it just continues to grow. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're a singer songwriter. You know, you're more you're talented in multiple areas. Just reading your, your reading the information I've gathered for, from your website. You know, what inspired you to do music? First of all, what 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 was that moment and where you're like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Well, um, I was uh, I was eight years old and I was just a typical kid that was playing baseball and all this other stuff. I was born and raised on a dairy farm. So I had my 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 work that I had to do. And we had an old piano that that was beat up and and in in our in our um, house. And I would go over and just play on it, you know, just pound the keys. And and my mother saw I saw that I had an interest. So she decided to you know, get the piano fixed up, get it tuned up, get it, get it, you know, ready so that, so that I could take lessons. And, and then I wound up taking lessons and, and I was classically trained at first, Beethoven, Beethoven, Brahms, Chopin, Mozart, all, all those. And then uh, uh, I met up with some friends when I started getting into high school and, and we started doing some contemporary music and, and I started enjoying that. And and I just kind of felt that that's kind of what I wanted to do. So I remember one one year I was a sophomore and I was taking geometry and I'm going, what am I taking this for? I'm not going to use it. I'm going to be playing music. You know, yeah. so everybody thought I was crazy, but but that was my attitude. But but, uh, you know, I just uh, I just had a deep, deep feeling for music. I enjoyed it. Uh, so I just felt that uh, that it could be something I could do. Wow. And and at what point did you start now performing, singing? Because well, I know you, you at one point you were uh, you did both. You were in a band, and you also did it on your own. Well, um, when I when I graduated high school, I joined a local band. They were all uh, 10, 12, 13 years older than I was, you know. But but they had been out there. They had been playing. They'd been doing all this, and and there was a really good weekend band. So I joined them. And within about a year, I was pretty much doing most of all the lead singing. And and uh, um, I just started really enjoying performing and, and, and the people coming in and liking what we was doing. And then I decided that, uh, you know, I was going to record a few songs and just kind of see where, where it could go. Because I've come from a little town in, in Maine called Madison, and it was a little mill town, you know, 5,000 people uh very rural and when when you told people that you wanted to do something that wasn't 
in the mill or or nine to five Monday through Friday job or or working for the power company or or one of those you know typical lifetime jobs that people will get, you know everybody would think you you're crazy. So everybody kind of thought that I had a pipe dream. They they didn't think that I could do it, and 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 the reason why they didn't think I could do it because it's not a typical job in that area. It's not like you come to Nashville and tell people you want to want to be a star. You know, they might shake their head and look at you, but but they're going to say, well, you're in Nashville. It's, it's around. It's possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Little town of Madison. It wasn't. So it was one of those things that I had just had to take and filter out and, and work out and keep working on and develop and and see where it went. Well, I, I resonate with your with your story so much because I grew up in this little town uh, and it's not even a town. It's a, bar, a barrio. Like okay. it's like you know, I grew up in Puerto Rico, so like everywhere you go, you got to drive. It's like Florida, right? And much, uh, much like Tennessee. If you're not in the the city activity places area, right. right? Right. And you know, every you know, it was a lot of poverty back then. It was known for like where where uh, they used to get out the salt, right? Uh, so once that stopped, years passed. Um, there's really any any work got to go far. Right. You know, typical jobs, you know, a, if you if you own land, you became a farmer, uh, a right. truck driver. Right. Um, sure. You know, worked in, in construction a lot. But right. it, it was a struggle. Yeah. Um, and, you know. There wasn't really anybody. Following their dreams like that phrase, believe in yourself. Right. It, it, it wasn't like it didn't exist. You know? I know. I know. I, I, um, um, I'm always posting on my Facebook, never give up on your dreams, you know, mm. keep on working. Uh, I think last week I put out, I put up a, a statement saying, Hey, you know, the caterpillar thought his life was over. Then all of a sudden he started flying, you mm. know, you've got to believe in yourself, but you got to be realistic in your beliefs too. You can't just go out there and say, you know, throw caution to the wind and go, oh, I think I'm going to be a star tomorrow because that's not the way it works. You know, but but like anything else, the music is a business. Mm. You know, so if you go into a if you go into a farm or you go into any type of business, you've got to nurture it and build it and grow and watch your finances. And 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 hopefully in a period of time, it'll grow into something that's a little better and you just keep evolving. Same thing with music. It's a business. You've got to invest in yourself, whether you're investing money or time or both, you know, recording, you know, learning the craft. There's just so much that you have to learn. And and it's it's that way in music. You know, it's that way in 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 if anybody wants to be an actor, an actress, theater, you know, anything that's that's entertainment you got to develop it and build it and grow it and evolve. And it's just not one of those things that you just walk into and you're the CEO, you know? So I, I told people, they said, well, what do you think you're doing? That's a pipe dream. And I would tell them, it's like, you know, if I told you I wanted to be CEO of central main power, would you, what would you say to me? They would say, well, you know, it's going to take your time to do that. You got to go in and, and, and you got to get a job and, and work the line and then go up. And I told the same thing with music. You got to start out at the bottom and work your way up. The only thing is, it's just a little bit more, you know, it's, it's not, there's no guarantee, but there's no guarantee in anything. So mm, yeah. like when I moved, everybody said to me, they said, well, what are you going to do if it doesn't work out? I said, well, one of two things, I'll stay down here and find a job that I like and build up and grow, or I'll move back and find a job that I like and build up and grow. 
I said, there is no end here. You just got to do what you feel and see where it goes. Because the worst feeling, and this is another thing I put out on Facebook just the other day, you know, people think that that if you go out there and you fail, that's the worst thing that can happen. It's not. The worst thing that happened is if you're sitting on your, your porch and you're 80 years old, wondering what would have happened if you had tried. Mm. So that's the way I looked at it. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to give it my best shot. If it works, great. If it doesn't, well, I gave it my best shot. Oh, I feel that. So, so what, like, so you started, you made a decision, you, 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 you joined this local band, you're doing it, right? Right. What then? How, how was that journey? Because eventually you, you grew your talents, the work, the, the, that, that flower you were watering, that seed you were watering, you know, started to blossom. What then? I, um, I kept work. I kept, um, kept playing with that band. And then I went in the studio for people that remember Peter, Paul and Mary of the sixties, uh, Paul Stokey owned, owned a studio within about, I don't know, a couple hours of where I lived. And so I, I went in there and I recorded some and, and started, you know, pitching it out to people in Nashville and New York. And, and then, um, uh, I had some friends that were, I was more on the pop side, Beach Boys, Elvis, mm -hmm. Uh, Rolling Stones, you know, th that kind of music. Um, Beatles, you know, that was my Eagles. That was kind of my my flavor of, of music. So I had some friends that that uh, were country songwriters and they didn't have they didn't have any transportation that could get them anywhere. So they asked me if I'd take them to Nashville. And my first and I at that time, I'd never been outside. I mean, I went to Berkeley in Boston mm -hmm. for a while. To, to go to, to learn more about music and playing and improv. But I hadn't been out of New England. So when they said Nashville, I'm going, I had this perception of Nashville's being the, this hick town, you know, that, that country people played in. And, and why would I want to go there? So everybody kind of laughed at me for thinking that. And then we, then I wound up driving them down. And when we got here, got here, I found that Nashville was, concrete and steel just like any other city the only difference is it did music so i walked music row just like everybody else i met some people i met some good people and and then i decided that that uh i went into this this uh recording and the piano player didn't show up so i wound up playing piano on a session with some of the best nashville players in the world you know wow. i mean i'm going here i am this country hit guy and I'm playing with guys that have played on major hit records. So this uh, this independent record label walked in. He knew all the players, but he didn't know me. He come over and talked with me, and and then he goes, "Well, what are you going to do?" I said, "Well, you know, I'm I'm I just took a couple of months off just to to come down here in Nashville and, and learn a little bit about it and help my friends." And at that time, he goes, "So how would you like to go out with Ronnie McDowell?" And this was before Ronnie McDowell had his big hit because it was mm. before Elvis died. You know, and at that time, Ronnie was the best Elvis impersonator in the country. Nobody better. Um, and I liked Elvis. So I said, yeah, OK. So I wound up doing a short tour with him to help him out. And then his manager and I hit it off. And I told his manager, I said, look, I said, I had a few extra things for you. You owe me. And he goes, what do you mean I owe you? I paid you. I said, yeah, I know. But I said, you owe me. He goes, well. What do I owe you? 
I said, you owe me the fact that I can call you if I come up, come in contact with somebody that I don't know. And you can tell me, yeah, this is a good guy to work with or stay away. He goes, oh, I can do that for you. No problem. So he helped me out a lot. And he actually gave me, uh, because my music was more on the, on the pop side. He gave me a guy in New York to call and I called the guy and it turned out he was Blondie's manager, you know? So, so I'm talking with Blondie's manager and he goes, yeah, send me some stuff. So I sent him uh, a few songs that I did. He calls me up and he goes, man, he goes, this is the third best project I've gotten all year long. Really nice. So I, I'm going, yeah, all right. You know, I'm, I've got a, I got somebody that can help me. I said, so when, we, when can we start working? He goes, man, he goes, I just don't have the time. He goes, if you were the best that I've got, he goes, I would find the time. He goes, but there's some things you need to learn. And he gave me a bunch of things that I needed to learn. And, and so I was kind of ticked off, you know, a little bit. But then, um, then I decided, you know what? I'm going to take and, and give this a shot. You know, so so I did what what uh, what he what he he said and I learned and I grew and, um, you know, started developing it from there. So so that's kind of how I worked on my way up into Nashville. Wow. How much how much influence that that working in Nashville help you to move further? Because later on, you became a producer and writing songs for other artists as well. Well, um, when I when I wound up coming to Nashville, I actually really l- fell in love with the city mm. because it was so laid back. the The players, when you when you walk in the studio, they get there a little early and they'll stay a little late. Whereas in some of the cities, you know, when when their time is up, uh, unless you're willing to pay them overtime, they're packing up and leaving. Yeah. It's a little bit more colder scenario. With Nashville, it wasn't. You know, they were a little bit more laid back. Ten or fifteen minutes didn't matter to them. So I really fell in love with them, and I started traveling back and forth and recording. And then I then I wound up on an independent record label. We released some records. I wound up hitting some of the Cashbox charts. I just never hit. And and I might know if I stayed at it, I might have hit that point of where I could get into the top forty and top thirty. And and maybe gotten a label, but I'd been I had one label that turned me down because I sounded too much like Mike Love of the Beach Boys, <laughs> and then I had another label that uh, wanted to sign me, but um, it happened right in the mid '80s when when we had a had a recession and they laid off the whole floor that of of the uh, of the record label. And of course, that floor had the person that was going to sign me, so I just kept doing my thing. And kept recording, releasing records. And then finally, I wound up working with with Bob Millsap and Gary Paxton. And Gary Paxton was the lead singer of the Argyles, Alley Oop, and all those big hits of the 60s. Uh, he had done a lot of, lot of major stuff. Bob Millsap had worked with a lot of major stars, and he published the song, You Needed Me, that Ann Murray made a big hit. And they were pu- producing me and, and mentoring me and and then finally, one day, Bob said to me, he says, you know, why don't you get off the road, stop having the late nights, stop chasing that that record label. We're getting ready to retire. Come down here and do what we do. You know a great song. You know the musicians. You know how to put it together. Start building your own future. So I had to really do some soul searching 
And the reason why I chose to do it is I was in the studio one time with Gary and one of the session players came up to him and said, man, Gary, I saw your son yesterday when I was out and about. And he looked at him and he goes, oh, I didn't realize he was in town. I'll have to give him a call. And I realized at that point that because Gary had been on the road so much uh, yeah. and and he didn't really get to know his son growing up. He missed a lot of the formative years. So I'm going, and I had two young sons at the time, and I'm going, that is not going to be me. So that's kind of what led me to make my decision to make the move to Nashville and get into production and development. Got it. And how's that, how, how's that been for you? Because well, you must have worked with uh, enormous artists. Like, what is that experience? Because it's totally different than what you were doing before. It is. I, 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 I was before I was on the stage in front of the people and now I'm behind the stage, behind the, 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 the scenes working with the singers. So how it changed is I started treating these singers that I would work with like I wanted to be treated when I was a singer. Mm. So I knew some of the little things that they needed that I didn't get you know, at different times. And I started working on them to develop them so they would have the, the knowledge and the ways of, of understanding the business. So I kind of gave them a lot of information that they could use so they could grow. And it uh, it developed to where I wound up uh, turning my my, my uh, production company into a record label. And wow. I started releasing some some singers to radio. And, and now I've got I, I've had songs that I've produced in adult contemporary pop, in in pop radio, uh, country, um, jazz, R and B. You know, I've I've hit a lot of the a lot of those different different styles. I've worked with uh, some of the major country artists. I've worked with with uh, sons and daughters of country artists. I've worked with sons of of uh, legendary soul singers. Um, and I'm now I'm working with the uh, uh, with a singer of of a of a if everybody remembers Happy Days, mm -hmm. uh, Ralph Mouth, Donnie Most. Uh, he's a great jazz singer, kind of like a Frank Sinatra, Bobby Darin. Wow. I produced him, and we've got him out at radio a couple couple singles, and and now we're just getting ready to release him in the UK. So, so the production and and all that is worked out really well. And I mean, I the biggest. Um, the, I guess one of the the biggest things that happened that that I sat back and and kind of had to pinch myself and go, man, is this real? Is I was I was working with Jackie Wilson's son Bobby, and I had some legends that I had grown up listening to call me and say, you know, I really like what you're doing with with Jackie's son. We got to figure out a way that we can work together. You know, and I'm going, yes. so I'm, I'm getting Motown people calling me that I grew up listening to going, man, you know, so, so yeah, it's worked out, worked out really well. I've been very fortunate. Yeah. You, uh, you won awards. That's right. Were you nominated or did you win a Grammy? No, I was, uh, I've, I've been on the ballot several times. I haven't ever got to that point of getting it. And it's one of those things that if I get one, that's fine. If I don't, that's fine. I mean, the the history that the history you're able to create for yourself, it, it speaks for itself. Awards were never, you know, were never, how do I say? Awards were never like replace those amazing moments you've had. 
oh, yeah. with such amazing people. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like like every day, just about yeah. You know, uh, Facebook has the the memories that pop up. Yeah, and every day I'll have something pop up and say, "Oh man, I forgot about that." And it's with, uh, you know, like like uh, one happened the other day, and and there's a there's a NFL running back Cedric Smith. Yeah, with the with the Redskins and with the Vikings and the Cardinals. Uh, a lot of people don't know it, but he's a great singer songwriter. Man, he's got some chops. And I wound up recording some stuff for him uh, so that he could have some stuff to to work with. You know, so that popped up. I mean, I, I've worked I've worked with people in in the NBA, the NFL, uh, you know, baseball. The only ones that I haven't really worked with so far is the NHL. You know, but but uh, <laughs> you know that'll come along. But but it's uh, yeah, it's totally amazing. I mean, I, I sit back and look at these people that will reach out to me, and and I'm going, man, you know, it's like like wow, you know, I'm I'm very fortunate. I mean, I think. Uh... All right. Was was that changed because of that and that you was you had a, a pinnacle moment that you had to make a choice and where do I continue on the road doing my thing or like shift a whole yeah. new life because it's a change you're going through? Like, it are is. you like, does it does it make you feel satisfied? Because, just you know, looking at your plaques and hearing your story like, man, you've, you've had a hell of a life. Yeah. Doing, doing what you love. Yes. Yes, uh, I have. I mean. I mean, there is no doubt. I mean, I mean, uh, one of one of my one of my uh, things that I'll always remember is, and you'll see it, see her behind me. Is that's me and Cher. Um, wow. I was working with with an artist, and we were doing uh, doing shows for the Pentagon, retiring generals, mm-hmm. and worked with the Fisher House and and you know uh, different different entities up there in D.C. So one day I was, we were up there visiting the Fisher House. And uh, a doctor came in and said, how'd you like to do a tour of the Walter Reed? So I said, oh, man, I'd love it, you know, because we was trying to help the, the vets and all that. So I got a chance to go go in with my artist and we met, uh, you know, different veterans. And and I mean, that is when you when you walk into the Walter Reed and you see the veterans there. I mean, you will walk out with two things. You'll walk out being very, very glad that you've got people like them that that fight for our freedom yes. and second you will appreciate the fact of what they went through i mean a lot pretty much everybody i saw in walter reed was missing a limb or two you know whether it be a leg or an arm or whatever and their attitudes were just so fantastic it's like well thanks for coming to visit us no thank you for doing what you do you know yeah. and so that day there was me and my artist on one floor uh, the New York Yankees on another floor and chair on another wow. floor. So, um, and, and the cool part is cause I'm from new England. So I love Boston, right? And the Red Sox. So there was a, there was a guy um, uh, in there vet and he was running around trying to find the Yankees because, because he had a Boston Red Sox shirt on. <laughs> got to find him. I got to find him, you know? And, and I'll always remember that because, because he, he was really uh, wanting to get him. And so then we went back to the Fisher house and then Cher popped in, you know, and talked wow. to the others and, 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 uh, you know, that were there. And I got a chance to meet and talk with her and, and she was, it's, and one of the things that you'll, that I'm always hesitant about is when you meet a superstar and that you've kind of liked for the most of your life, mm-hmm. you you walk away with one or two feelings. You either love them or you hate them. You know, because 
because when you find out what they're truly like, mm-hmm. are they really what your perception was? Of yes, them? yes. And Cher was everything I expected her to be. You know? <laughs> I mean, she was just, they would say something. She'd go, well, that really sucks. You know, I'm going, yeah, I like that. You know, so, so uh, yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate to be around a lot of people, meet a lot of great people, do shows with great people. Uh, and it's just uh, something I'll remember the rest of my life, no matter what happens. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what 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 inspired you to to start? Because uh, you have an amazing podcast uh, regarding autism. Well, um, it was interesting in the um, in the pandemic, because um, my my management and my bookings and everything that I had working for my artist just completely shut down. Wow. So we had nothing to do. And I had always told friends of mine that, you know, when I get a chance, I'm going to take and and go back to my artist roots and record an album just for the fun of it. So one of my friends called me up because, you know, he goes, seems so I remember you saying that you was going to take and do an album for the fun of it. Now's a good time. (laughs) And I'm going, yeah, you know, you're probably right. So I started looking at doing that and, and, and uh, um, started looking for songs. And then it was like, I think April, uh, this song comes across my desk and it was uh, from a writer that I had produced a song that he and a co-writer had written on an uh, artist that I was producing four or five years or prior. And, and he goes, man, I think this is one of my best songs. It was called why not me. Mm-hmm. And when I heard it, I listened to the lyrics. I'm going, this is me. This is everything that I promote on my social media. Never give up on your dreams. The mountains yes. are not high. You can just keep doing it. So I told him, I said, man, I think I want to do this song because it's it's what I what I feel. So I recorded it. And then my promoters in New York, Nashville, L.A., London, they said, man, we want to hear what you're working on. So I just finished that song. So I sent it to him. And they all called me back and they said, man, you got to release this song. I said, you are out of your mind. I'm not going to go back on the road. I'm not going to get back out there performing again. I'm just doing this for the fun. For my enjoyment, something that I can give to my friends, my family, you know, my kids, grandkids, you know, and then a few people want to buy it. Fine. If they don't, that's fine, too. It's, is, it's this, is this the album you, you have on your website yeah. right now? Yeah. Why not me? You know, so yes. so um, they talked me into doing it. And I said, well, you know, if I'm going to record it, if I'm going to release it, I got to do something to pay tribute. So a few years earlier than uh, I had done a project for a family that that had lost uh, lost their uh, she had lost her husband in the line of duty. Um, he was he was a corporal, and um, so I, I did a project. He was a songwriter, and and his brother sang songs. So I got his brother to come down, and we picked some songs that he that he had written, and we cut them. We, and then we took and made up CDs, and we sold them. We gave all the money to the to the wife. So I felt that, you know, maybe it's time to to do. And I added in this in this in my song, I added the steel in it to give it a little texture like the Eagles. Mm-hmm. But everybody thought that because I added steel in it, that it was country. So I'm mm. going, man, this is a pop song with just a little steel for touch texture like the Eagles. But everybody thought it was country. I said, you know, if you want to call it country, call it whatever you want. <laughs> so, so we released it. And then I decided to do a video. So I did a video called Why Not Me? And in it, I paid tribute to all our first responders. So I, as soon as I told people that I was going to do this, I started getting 
pictures and short video clips from first responders all over the country. So I put it all together. I put it out there and it went for, I don't know, four, five, six months. And then it started dying down like any project will. And I thought that was the end of it. And then this lady calls me up and she turns out she's a speech therapist for autistic children. So she, she asked me, she goes, I really love what you did with that song. Could you do that for us? And I'm going, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, and, and she goes, she goes, well, she goes, uh, we, we're a charity and we'd like to take and, and, and work with you. And, and if you're willing to give some of the, some of the, you know, receipts and, all that. and I said, you know, I said, I don't think it will work because number one, charities don't understand what it takes to promote a record. They don't understand that what you got to do on social media to build it, to get sales. So I felt that it would, that it would fail because of that, because they, their expectations would be more than what reality would give. Yeah. So that plus I didn't know anything about autism. And I told him, I said, I know nothing about autism. So as it turns out, I just said, you know, let me re-record the song in a more adult contemporary pop version and let me create a video and we'll call it why not me nashville to start out and i got i got a lot of nashville autistic uh people and and a few special needs in there to just kind of showcase that there's a community there that may need some help yes well it it's just started blowing up i mean it started uh i mean it's got like almost a quarter of a million views on it now um People started started, you know, just saying, what else are you going to do? And and I'm going, I don't know if I can do anything else. And and then um, I decided that, you know, maybe maybe I can do a podcast because I'd, I'd looked at a lot of podcasts out there and. I put myself in the in the position of the new family that just finds out that they have an autistic child. And at that point, most families don't know anything about autism. They don't know where to go. They don't know the terms. They don't know what ABA therapy is. They don't know anything, you know, and I started listening to all these podcasts and it was so much over my head. I couldn't understand it. And I'm going, if I can't understand it, how is a new couple going to understand it? So there was two things I did. One is I saw that autism month is in April is autism awareness and acceptance. Yeah. I felt it was missing a word. So I created my slogan and it's, and it's why not me? It's why not me the world? Cause I'm talking with people all over the world, but my slogan is autism awareness, acceptance and understanding. Because I truly believe that you can accept something because you understand, because you are aware of it, but just cause you're aware of it and accept it doesn't mean you understand it. All right. So yes. I wanted to start this podcast with, something that I didn't hear or see in any other podcast. And that was real life people telling real life stories of how they deal or how they dealt with situations. So that way, if somebody else is, is hearing it for the first time and don't know, maybe they'll hear something that can help them. Or maybe if somebody's been dealing with it for a while, but they're dealing with something, they don't know that something new pops up. They don't know how to handle it. They hear somebody that, that talks about it. Maybe that will help them. You know, and what I found out, which has just totally blown my mind, is how fast it grew. I mean, 
I I first started out expecting it to be like maybe a couple of shows a month and and maybe over five or six months or nine months or a year, it might build up within a month. I mean, literally within five or six weeks, my podcast grew to the point of where I had so many people wanting to be on it that I filled my calendar for a weekly podcast for the rest of the year. Wow. Yeah. And I, I'm going, I can't believe this, you know, and, and people were, were my feedback I was getting is like everything that you, that you put out there is so relatable, you know, people can understand it, you know, and, and another thing that's happened is now all these, I'm, I'm talking with people and I'm telling them little, little snippets of stories in our conversations of future podcasts that I'm going to put out episodes and all these people are starting to interconnect and talk with each other. So like, like, um, I've got a lady that, that, um, um, she's, she's got an autistic 16 year old daughter that, that sings and dances and she's in, in pageantry down in Georgia. So I was, so I've, so I've interviewed her and I told her about, about, and about some things. And then this lady that I had on last week, I told her about a lady in New York City that that I'm going to have on next month that that wrote a book about how she deals with her three autistic brothers. All three of them have interconnected. And then the, and another one, they're all talking to each other now, you know, and it's like I've formed this and this it's, it's kind of formed its own little community, you know, so it's just uh, it's just really, really blown my mind on how fast it's grown and and the the response I'm getting and and just the overall you know interaction with with people that are on the podcast and haven't been on the podcast but interacting with each other wow that's amazing yeah i mean i'm 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 totally amazed that's amazing that's am- <laughs> man i'm glad i'm I, i'm glad because here like my my experience has been like i feel like it's a nightmare yeah and try and trying to find that community and trying to find that support. Like one of the, one of the main things that uh, basically inspired me to start doing the podcast was to create some type of credibility and influence so that I can share, shed a light on autism sure, and, sure. And, and get more resources. And, you know, it's been, you know, it's, you know, it doesn't help that I'm, you know, I'm kind of a butthead sometimes, you know, I, I, I speak rawly. I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a rough around the edges, right? Unfiltered as they call it. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very, I'm very, I do my best. You know, that doesn't help, but you know, sometimes you need somebody to say how it is. Well, you're passionate. Yeah. You know, and that's key is passion. You know, it's, it's the one thing that I found in talking with everybody is their passion that they have for their children. You know, it's like they will do anything for their children, you know, and and sometimes that that creates families to butt heads and and it creates a high divorce rate and it creates all these issues, you know, but but the one common thread is they they want what's best for the kids. Yeah. You know, and and when when you've got social services and all these things that cut it off at 21 when they need to go farther than that. You know, there's just so many restrictions and each state is so differently, you know, organized that, you know, it's, it does make it tough. And, and uh, the passion that, that, that uh, uh, parents have for their children, I mean, is one that we're going to try and do their best to take care of our children. They got to find a way. I know, I know for me, uh, 
and I guess I, I think my my wife would agree. I think for us, it's like the fear and the sense of desperation. Sure, that that's had made made it very challenging because, you know, like you know, one time I took my son to uh, to the park. And, you know, I stopped going to the park, this park. And, you know, my son, he's very curious. You know, he's not verbal. And, you know, right. you see these kids, you know, they have uh, uh, juice and potato chips and just snacks. Right. And my son just goes and like, oh, my God, it goes and picks one. And right. I'm like, uh, you know, I, I go stop and I'm sorry, you know. And as I'm walking away, you know, a parent just yells at me. It's like, you need to put your son on a leash. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, you know, I, you know, I, you know, like you said, I'm a very passionate person. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that day I had to take the, the higher road. Right. And that's, you know, different. yeah. And, you know, pan, pandemic hit, the lack of services, lack of support, you know, right. because, you know, my family has not been supported. My, you know, my wife's family has not been supported, you know, very old school. Right. Well, you know, the one thing that I find is and and it yours sounds exactly like a lot of others is that outsiders that don't know much about autism mm-hmm. don't know how to handle it and they think the kid's just being unruly when he's really just autistic you know and and i had one one pant one uh one mother say to me you know uh all my in-laws and all the people want to help but they but they criticize because they, they don't support and they don't understand what it takes for an autistic child that's nonverbal because hers is nonverbal as well. And and she goes, the only person that understands that child completely is the caregiver, you know, whether it be the mother, the father or both. So I think that's the situation that you're in is that that you understand what your child needs. Sometimes outsiders like that, that person that said you know keep a child on a leash don't understand and and that's where my podcast your podcast and others like ours will hopefully bring a better awareness understanding so that people if they do run across someone it'll maybe help them be a little more tolerant and more kind yeah yeah i agree i agree i you know the best it's like i i had my last episode with the gentleman victor I, i knew this you know you have to be if if you like it's like I say if you're if like my son can't speak you have to speak for him you have yeah. to you have to you know share the knowledge because there's, there's a lot of people that I think that are probably six autistic but never were never aware of it don't do not know of it you know yes. and unless you're in that you know culture or community right uh, are surrounded by individuals like. Uh, yourself, you probably would never know. Well, you know, um, not my September uh, September six episode is a must listen. You know, um, it's I've got Doctor Rachel Mosley of London, England, on it, and we're gonna and because September is is um, is Suicide Prevention Month. Yes, and what a lot of people don't realize is that one in four autistic children are females. The The number is probably higher than that, but because, because females hide it and mask it so well, because they're trying to fit in and, and, and they can, they can't mask guys don't have that problem. 
females do. And what it happens is it creates a situation of where, where they'll try and fit in. And the more they try, the more depressed they get and the more suicidal they become. Wow. There's a high rate of suicide among teenage female autistic people. And a lot of people don't realize that. And we're, we're addressing that because, because that's one of the things that I think needs to be, be out there. I think we need to talk about everything that we can talk about for autistic people because people need to understand, you know, and the more that we can get out there, the more information we can get out there, the more we can help not the autistic people so much, but the people that don't understand the autistic people, because there's a lot of highly intelligent autistic people out there that that uh, they're just a little different. That's all. Mm -hmm. Their brains wired a little bit different, but they're fantastic people. Yes. Matter of fact, we wouldn't be a lot of people wouldn't be talking today on their cell phones if it wasn't for an autistic guy that had an idea. And that's, you know, iPhone. You know, you can you can go back and you can you can find so many people that I mean, that are autistic, that have created the change, things that changed our life. You know, so I think people need a better understanding of this. And hopefully, you know, if we can get a better understanding to those people, we can get a little more kindness in the world. And then maybe we can figure out a way to get along a little better. I totally agree. I, I totally agree. And thank you for supporting, you know those who need help and doing your part. Well, you know, uh, everybody asked me why I picked autism and I tell them point blank. I did not pick autism. Well, autism picked me, you know, yeah. and, and I don't have anybody that's autistic in my family. I, I never knew anything about autism up until I started doing some of this stuff. And now uh, I still, the, what my knowledge of autism is the very, very little tip of an iceberg, you know? I mean, I don't know that much, but what I do know is what people go through, the challenges they have, the stories they tell me, and how hopefully these stories, if other people can hear them, can help everybody that that hears it, that needs the help. I'm into that. Tony, it's been an honor speaking to you, sir. Uh... Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I send you so much respect for everything you're doing for, for just, you know, taking a chance on yourself. That's something to be admirable. And a lot of people do not do what you did. Well, and, and what's believe in yourself. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I didn't know what to expect when I started this autistic podcast I didn't know if people would look at me going, you know, what is he doing? He doesn't know anything about autism or I, I didn't know what to expect to, in return, you know, but, but the good thing is that people are seeing that the reason why I'm doing it, trying to bring more, more awareness, more acceptance, more understanding. So it's developed into something that, that hopefully it's going to keep going. It's going to turn into something that can, that can help people and, and bottom line, and that's all that matters. If somebody can help one person, you know, out of one, one episode, then it's been a success. Oh. One last question before we go. If you had one piece of advice to give somebody who's trying to, you know, take a chance of themselves and he keeps occurring difficult days, what would you tell them? I would tell them to, number one, always find a way to get past any 
anything that's that's bothered them today because tomorrow they get up with a new new mindset and the next thing is everything that they do it doesn't matter how small they think it may be make sure they do it the best of their ability big make it the best quality they can possibly do because in this world you never know who's watching you and you never know who's around that next corner that can help you you know so you've just got to take and, and just keep putting one foot in front of the others and sometimes it's a struggle you know it's it's uh, we all have it we get up in the morning it's like why am i doing this you know nobody cares you know but ultimately you've got to Bottom line is make yourself happy at what you're doing. Don't worry about the outside world at point. Shut the door, close the door, find your 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 comfort zone, build that, work on it, then open that door back up and go out and just put it out there. Do the best you can and don't over expect what you can get. You know, go out there with the worst case scenario hoping for the best and then anything that happens between the worst case and the best is good because it gives you something to keep building on and then after you've done that for so long you'll look back at at, a, at that point in time and that point in time can be a month, 6 months, 9 months, a year, 10 years, it doesn't matter what frame of time it is but once you start looking back you will see a body of work that you've done you'll see where you started where you are in the middle and where are you are now and then that body of work will define you so as long as you always make it your best your definition is going to be a good one oh there you have it guys there you have it um before we go please tell the people where they can find you at yeah they can find me uh, at tonymantor.com um facebook instagram twitter linkedin uh youtube you know all tony mantor you know they can uh and that's tony m a n t o r .com so they can find me i'm pretty pretty easy to find oh there you have it guys go follow and support him go listen to his brand new album it's amazing uh go look, check out his podcast what what's the name of your record label uh plateau music boom there you have it you guys uh make sure to like and subscribe to my youtube channel deal talk tv go follow me on instagram mr dr inspire 10 i'm out guys have a good night Oh, my God.